Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see everyone. If you're visiting with us, we're glad you're here. I'm Roger. So this week, as we continue in Ephesians, we wrap up the one long sentence. And sometimes we can forget that. As you look in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 is one long sentence that Paul writes. It doesn't work like that in the English. And so our translators have to do the best they can to make it make sense for us. But uh, if you wanted really what I believe to be the best condensed presentation of what God has done for us and who we are, how he did it, and what we have because of it, it's this long sentence right here. And so this week, we finish that out in Ephesians 1, 11 through 14, as we talk about what I'm calling the divine inheritance. Now, who in here has something you've inherited that has incredible sentimental value? It may not have monetary value, but there's, there's just an item that, you know, maybe has been passed down through the family that you're like, you know what, I'm glad I have this because it's part of our story. You know, about, a, about 12 years ago, I got really into genealogy and became the resident expert on our family history, and I found all kinds of stuff. I found all kinds of pictures that nobody in our family knew existed, and through meeting different people, I, I came into possession of a, of a few items that have been passed down from great-grandparents and, and such, and purchased by great-great-grandparents, and you know, they would just be trinkets to anybody else, but I'm glad I have it. it, it they're, they're special to me. Now, all of that pales in comparison to what Paul tells us we have in Christ and what we have inherited. Because what we have inherited in Christ is eternal, which means it, it lasts forever. It's infinitely better than anything we could inherit in this life, in this world. We inherit not only heaven, not only eternity, but we inherit a destiny. You know, in in our culture, that's not something we understand a whole lot anymore is the inheritance of a destiny. Because we don't have, you know, royalty in our country, but... That is something that for generations past, there were people born to stations in life, and where you were born determined where you were going. And you, in a sense, inherited a destiny because of who your parents and grandparents and what your bloodline was. And so in this passage, when Paul starts talking about inheritance, he's talking about more than just, hey, you get some good stuff when you die. We inherit so much more. So look with me. In Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 11, and it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
So I think one of the things that Paul really wants us to grasp out of this, you know, huge sentence that he just piles on phrase after phrase is that we really do have a bigger purpose in life now. We're not here just to exist anymore. We're not here to live for ourselves. We're not here to, to live for the world. We are now a part of his kingdom. He says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. And as I said before, that is a destiny. That is purpose. Uh, okay? That is an appointment. <clears throat> One definition is that it is an appointment or determination that affects one's being. An appointment or determination that affects one's being. The very person you are is affected by this inheritance. Okay? It, it affects identity, possession, purpose, and direction. And what does he say about it? He says it is predestined, meaning he decided beforehand this is who we would be. And this is what we receive in Jesus. In Jesus, we obtain the destiny, our purpose, life goal, our inheritance that God has predestined, decided beforehand according to his own wisdom and purposes. God's purpose determines our purpose. Now, let me say that again because that is not how we <clears throat> modern American individualistic people think. God's purpose determines our purpose. We're not free to determine our own way once we give our lives to Christ. What we are doing in giving our lives to Christ, yes, we are saved from hell, our sins are forgiven, but we become ambassadors for his kingdom then. And we are called <clears throat> to live for him, to represent him, to glorify him in everything that we do. And so... <clears throat> We won't know who we are or why we are here without first connecting. I'm sorry, I don't know what's going on here. <clears throat> I have water. <laughs> I, I, this may have caused the trouble. <clears throat> okay, we'll try this again. We won't know who we are or why we're here without first connecting with our maker. He made us. He knows us. He determines the days of our lives. He understands us. In the absence of that connection, we've already seen through Jude that we will pursue a lower purpose with lower goals that will lead us downward until it destroys us. When we determine our purpose for ourselves, we will strive for that which is below us. When we allow God to determine our purpose in life, it will always lead us to something higher, something more. We are created, and this is such an amazing truth, we are created to make an impact bigger than ourselves in life. Bigger than ourselves. Now, the only way that happens is if that Power, that, that purpose is empowered by something greater than us. We can't accomplish that on our own. I cannot make an impact greater than my being on my own. I have to do it only through the Spirit of God. I have to tap into the power that God has given me in Christ, live for Him, 
and then through his power have an impact for his kingdom that's greater than what I could have done on my own. Now, how many of us in here have that view of life? That we are called to something so much greater than ourselves that our lives should be spent in giving to it, knowing that God is going to move it somewhere greater than we ever could. You see, with the connection to God, when we are born again, our maker, our purpose will take us beyond ourselves, and we will serve his kingdom to his glory. And I love how scripture tells us that it's an ever-increasing glory. You see, God isn't satisfied with with the modern self-help mantra, you know, hey, if I just kind of get to this point, then I'll be good. Anybody ever, you know, set those kind of goals and you're like, oh, life's going to be awesome when I get here. And you get there and you're like, eh, I thought it'd be better. I thought this would be more rewarding. I thought, huh. And so what do we do? We just kind of recalibrate and set a new goal and, and keep going. You see, God isn't satisfied with that. And he says, no, you serve me. You're going to serve an eternal kingdom in which the impact is going to resonate for all eternity. I don't know anybody that has genuinely given themselves in a service of God that ever looks back and he goes, you know, I'm disappointed. It hasn't really, uh, I just don't think God is really, yeah, I'm just disappointed in him. I don't, I've never met that person. Maybe, maybe you have, but I doubt it. Now, if a person says that, I'm going to argue they probably weren't serving God. They were serving themselves in the name of God and got it all confused. And when it didn't work, they blamed God. But what God is going to do is take us and use us in ways that go so far beyond ourselves, we'll we'll really kind of look back in awe. Wow, God, you really did that. You see, listen how Paul described it in 2 Corinthians. You know, we had a 2 Corinthians series, so obviously you all remember this, right? (laughs) 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18, it says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Why? Because he has that higher purpose. He has that bigger purpose in life. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So that's what I just said. As far as the the bigger purpose only reveals itself in Christ. Apart from him, there's a veil. We don't see the purpose of life. We don't know who we are. We don't know who God is. Okay, verse 16, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Now one translation of that says from glory to glory. See, God is never going to have us work in a downward fashion. Everything he does will glorify him and will move us from glory to glory. Now, we might feel like it's taking us down. You know why? Because it takes us down a notch in humility. But when we do that, God is glorified and we achieve that purpose that is greater than ourselves, that is greater than our ability. 
And so it says we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, our purpose shifts from being bound to this world to being a part of God's endless eternal kingdom. And so let me put it like this. It's not just about getting to heaven when we die. That's the goal. That's the reward. That is, I mean, that's what makes all of this worth it is the fact we're going to be with God in a place where there is no death, where there is no sin, where there is no suffering, no sickness, in the glory of the Lord for all eternity. And it's going to be amazing. But that's not all of it. We are also now a part of his kingdom on earth. And his kingdom on earth is affecting people's lives for all eternity. Okay, think of it now as we're laying the groundwork right now for the things God's going to do in eternity. And we are his workers. And so we may not see, you know, the the foundation has been laid as far as, as Christ and his work and it's done. And now we are building on it. And Corinthians tells us, you know, whatever is built is going to be exposed in the end. We're going to see, did you build on it with precious stones and metal and and build permanent things for all eternity? Did you build according to the world? What did you build for his kingdom? And so today I want to ask you, what is your purpose in life as it pertains to your role in God's kingdom? Have you given it genuine, deep, personal thought? Too many miss this in today's world because they are so concerned with God make me happy that they've lost their sense of purpose and they don't understand that that joy of the Lord comes from living in God's purpose for you. Not defining purpose for yourself, but in living in your calling to glorify God. And there is joy in that. That is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And we can get so caught up in trying to find peace and happiness for ourselves that we forget God's purpose. And again, our lives contract. They get smaller. Our minds get smaller. And we suddenly are only focused on things of this world and we lose sight of the eternal. So what does his kingdom involve? One, his his kingdom always involves his will. It always involves his will. We're not in charge. Okay, so y'all repeat after me. We're just going to make sure we got this straight. He's God, I'm not. Okay. We, we got to establish that every single day because as ridiculous as it sounds, we forget that. And we think God works for us and it works the other way around. It always involves his will and our obedience and our unity with other believers. These are three things that will never depart his kingdom work on earth, ever. There is nobody in scripture you can point to that served God powerfully, completely alone. Now, they may have had individual callings, but they were never the entirety of of God's work, except for Jesus on the cross. 
And that was the God-man, son of God, saying, okay, I'll take care of what you can't. Everybody else has to acknowledge God's will is greater than theirs and that he is right, we're wrong, we have to listen to him, we have to obey that will, follow through on it, and obeying that will always involve us being involved with God's people. Always. Now, there are times God may use you individually, and and yes, he will do that, but it will even be to the benefit of his people or to bring people into his people. You know, I'm reminded of Elijah who started crying to God, I'm the only one, God, I'm the only one. And God tells him, says, be quiet. No, you're not. I've got 7,000 other prophets that have not bent the the knee to Baal. You're not alone. Now, was he doing what God told him? Yes, he was doing something unique that God had for him to do, but God still had to remind him, Elijah, you're not the only game in town. And so he found his purpose within that. And within this, Paul references both Jews and Gentiles to to remind us that we are now one body. He says, we who were the first to believe, that would be the Jewish believers. And then he goes on, he says, and you also, when you heard the gospel of your salvation and you believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So he unites Jew and Gentile in one right here and says this is the inheritance that we all have obtained together. Now, I want you to think about this idea of God's kingdom involving his will, our obedience, and unity with others with how Jesus told us to pray. Think about this. What did Jesus tell us to pray? In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. What we say? His will. On earth, his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Unity with his people. We have to pray about being unified in forgiveness with his people. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not in, deliver us. What is he talking? He's talking about live that higher calling. Don't live in this world as the rest of the world does. Rise above it and follow his will and let him deliver you from the things of this world. You see, what the Lord's Prayer is telling us to do is to pray to walk in this divine inheritance that Paul has told us about. And all of this will result in the praise of his glory. You see, when this story is finished, God will be glorified in every way. God is telling his story right now. And we are a part of it. And that's amazing because we're on the winning team. Okay, if you are a follower of Christ, you are on the winning side. You're on the right side. It's going to work out for you. Okay, you're going to make it. But when this is all finished, Paul says several times in this, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace, to the praise of his glory. He keeps repeating this saying, look, in the end, this isn't going to be about us. It's going to be about him. 
He's the one that's going to get the glory. He's the one whose plan is going to be revealed as perfect. He's the one that's going to be seen as powerful. He's the one that's going to be seen as wise. He is the one who is going to receive all the praise of heaven. And this is a good thing. Because as we think about what it means that he's going to be glorified for all eternity in all of creation, that means that when God is praised, it's going to be not only for his love and grace for those in heaven, but also for his justice and wrath for those in hell. Because all of it will be seen as perfect. And I know that sounds weird. It, it, it takes a level of spiritual maturity to kind of get there and understand if it makes you uncomfortable because you're like, why would we ever rejoice at people in hell? Look, when, when the perfection of his justice is revealed and we see the length to which he went through the cross in eternity at, at what he did to offer forgiveness and we see the way that humanity spit in his face and said, I don't want it. Yeah, we're going to praise God for you did what was right. You did what was right. And we will praise God because of the perfection of his justice. And we will praise God because of the perfection of his plan of redemption. And we will praise God for the perfection of his presence as we are with him in heaven. But he will be praised in all things. And here's one of the great things about this entire plan, okay? The inheritance that we're going to receive as being part of his kingdom on earth and in heaven, that we get to serve him for all eternity. Here's the great news about this inheritance. God himself is the guarantee. God himself is the one who guarantees that this will happen. You know, when we receive an inheritance in, in, in life, what is the guarantee that we're going to get what we're supposed to? Well, we try through a will and through a legal system, right? That always works out great, right? There are no problems ever. But God himself is the one who guarantees this. I want you to listen to verses 13 and 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. God puts his mark on his people, in his people. And what is that? It's the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which means it's God himself. He comes to live within us. Our bodies become the temple of the Holy Spirit. And Paul makes it absolutely clear right here when we receive the Holy Spirit. When we hear and believe the gospel, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Our salvation is not and never has been dependent upon our ability to obey. Our inheritance is not based on our ability to obey. Salvation is through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and is made active in our own lives through the power of God within us, the Holy Spirit. 
see, all we have to do is believe. And that is one of the huge themes that he is building towards in Ephesians, which we will get to in chapter 2. But he says, it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. If we're going to boast, what can we boast about? Hey, God saved me when I didn't deserve it. God did all the work for me at the cross. And God guarantees my salvation because he gave me his Holy Spirit. You see, we can only boast about God. Paul tells us we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now, clearly, this is an image of a king setting his official seal upon his people. You know, in ancient times, when a, a, a document, an official document or, or a decree went out, they would melt the wax and the, the official seal that the king would have on his ring, he would press it into the wax and leave an impression that only he could leave. Nobody else had this impression. So it was proof that it came from the king. The proof that you are now a child of the king is the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. And the proof that we are walking with that spirit and listening to him is the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. See, the Holy Spirit is active. And Paul just references this here. That he says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Now the enemy copies this. Okay, understand this. The enemy tries to copy this, and we see it in the book of Revelation, as those with the mark of the beast. As those who are showing that they are following his lead and are bowing the knee to his kingdom. And bow his knee to the things of man rather than to the things of God. The mark in Revelation is a mark of man, whereas the seal of God is the indwelling Holy Spirit that remakes us, enlightens us, empowers us, protects us, and guides us through this life into eternity. The Holy Spirit is the difference maker in the life of a Christian. It's not our intellect. It's not our effort. It's not anything to do with us. The thing that makes our Christianity effective is the presence of God within us. And that power becomes active the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't need a second blessing. You know, there's not another time where suddenly the Holy Spirit does something new. Now, can he move in new ways? Absolutely. But Paul says it here. When you heard the gospel of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and put your faith in Jesus, you were sealed in that moment. And it says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. You see, there's something permanent about the indwelling Holy Spirit that Paul's wanting us to understand. This isn't just to get us through this life. Paul, God has literally shared of himself to make us a part of him for all eternity. Listen to what Jesus said about the coming Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 through 17, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. What's that say? To be with you forever. Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Will be in you. God has shared of himself. And that is the power that gets us through not only this life, but is going to lead us into eternity, and we are going to serve God's purposes for all eternity in the new heaven and the new earth. And so what does that look like as his kingdom on earth? To be his people filled with his spirit, serving his purposes. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's what it looks like. Power, love, and self-control. You see, the enemy likes to try and counterfeit that. But it's obvious, because what is the spirit of the world but a spirit of fear? Be afraid all the time. Turn on the news, it's nothing but be afraid. Whole world's about to end. Be afraid. Everything's bad. Be afraid. You know what? Spirit didn't give us. God did not give us a spirit of fear. The spirit of the world wants us to be weak, feel helpless. What is this? A spirit of power and love. Think about what that that combination. Do we see that on display anywhere in this world, those who with power operate out of a spirit of love? Never. The two don't seem to ever meet. And you look at it in history, they never meet. The more power someone has, the less love seems to be involved in it. And yet this is exactly what God says. His people will operate out of a spirit of power, divine power, that goes beyond this world, but it's going to be met with love, and self-control. Now again, go through history. When power is attained, love and self-control seem to disappear, right? Those are the first things that seem to go out the door. And now I'm in control. And God says, no, I'm going to give my people power, but it's going to be exercised in love and self-control. It's not going to be about them. It's going to be about his kingdom. It's going to be about him. And so this guarantee of our inheritance, Jew and Gentile together with equal standing, it's more than heaven. It is an inheritance of our new purpose and our destiny is guaranteed by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that is until we acquire possession of it. You see, there is a a forward thinking, a, a forward progress part to our faith, that faith is always looking forward. Faith doesn't look backwards except to celebrate what God has done. But faith is always moving forward. It's always looking forward. And even here, Paul says, yes, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. You have a divine inheritance, and he's going to be with you forever until you take possession of that inheritance. Always forward-looking. Always moving forward. God himself has personally guaranteed your eternal inheritance. And so, what do we do with this? This this glorious eternal truth? 
And I mean that, the, the glorious eternal truth that God has put on display. Because I've told you several times, this is one sentence. So let's take it all in. Let's have some fun. Let's take in the longest run-on sentence in the Bible. Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Okay, let's put together the last three weeks and just listen to what God has done. Get that bigger picture in your mind of what God has done for you, in you, what he did for you, and who you are. Starting in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in accordance to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who was the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. If you ever forget what God has done for you, go back to Ephesians. Just read 3 through 14 and remind yourself, here's everything that God has done. Here it is in one long sentence, Paul telling me how great this is. So what are the high points again of this sentence? That in Christ alone, we have God's love. We have Every spiritual blessing that can be given. Okay, we have God's abundant provision in blessing. We have God's inexhaustible grace in redemption. We know God's perfect will. We have God's perfecting presence for all eternity in the Holy Spirit. You like that? We have God's perfecting presence. He's always working within us. Always perfecting taking us to the next glory. And we have God's eternal promises, both fulfilled and future. Now that's good news. That is good news. And all of this, in the end, will result to the praise of His glory. Now friends, if this doesn't inspire you to become a worshiper, you aren't paying attention. You're not thinking deeply about what he's done for you because somebody does that for me, I want to shout it from the rooftops, what he's done. If this doesn't push you to become a student of Scripture and prayer so you can better understand the enormity of what he's done, you aren't looking closely enough at it. 
I want to know every bit of truth I can find in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. What does that mean? We've got to study to find it. If it doesn't motivate you to enter into your great inheritance of purpose and future by serving and witnessing to the greatness of God, you don't understand what God has done for you. What he has called you to, the greatness of what he has called you to. Serving God is not a chore, it's a blessing. It's, it's something that we should look forward to. It's a privilege to serve the kingdom of God. And if it doesn't move your heart to want to help others see the glory of what God has done in becoming a disciple maker, you haven't entered as deeply as you should into what God has done for you. So this afternoon, I want you to make it a point in this week to read through Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 several times. And just pray that God opens the eyes of your heart. Ask him to renew your passion for his truth. To show you more deeply what he's done for you so that you can can worship him. And you can experience and see what it is that he has for you in your inheritance. You won't be disappointed. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. And God, I pray for each person in here. Lord, that you help us to see more clearly, more deeply, what you have done and what you have given us. God, that we would see it in in ways that we understand our, our divine inheritance of who we are and what you've called us to. That our purpose isn't found within ourselves, but it's only through your spirit and your kingdom. God, help us to embrace that, to know it, to walk in it, and to know the fruit of the Spirit because of it. That the fruit of the Spirit would be obvious in our lives, God, that it would be apparent to those around us that we are walking with you. Use us, God. God, hear our worship, bless our study and our prayer. Use us as as your servant witnesses in this world. And God, empower us to make disciples. To reach out to those who don't know you. To disciple those who do. That we ourselves would go deeper with you and, and invite others to do the same. That you would use us to help others make that journey. To walk the path of their inheritance. That we would be able to show it to them. God, where we forget who we are and we strive for that which is lower, which is beneath us. God, I pray you correct us. Raise our gaze once again to the truth that we would walk by your power, that we would walk by your spirit and not live in fear, but have power, love, and self-control. God, it's in Jesus' holy name we pray this together today. Amen.